Top of the morning, everyone, and welcome to the third installment of the Waterstone Media Podcast. As always, I am joined by my good friend, Taylor. Taylor, how are you doing today, sir? I'm wonderful, thanks. How are you, sir? I am doing well. I I know that we were kind of talking a little bit about this online uh, or offline before the podcast started, but I have really just been enjoying these conversations. They're really fun. They're one of the highlights of my week, actually. Yeah, I agree. This is a, it's a, it's nice to just rarely do you get to schedule, uh, you know, a chunk of time to just have a chat, which is kind of what this is. So that's, that's, that is neat. I agree. And to do it about really nerdy subjects that we both love. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So, um, before we get into our topic for today, I suppose the first question is what have you been working on this week? Uh, still banging away with uh, Infernal Shadows edit. Um, not as productive a week as I have had previously. Uh, up here in Canada, in Ontario specifically, we were locked down for about a month again. Uh, and I was off and finding just a really good groove with writing. Uh, I was able to get a lot of the prep stuff done for the Sentinels book we released and then get a lot of work done on the sequel and then get a lot of work done on Infernal Shadow. And then went back to work, and it just threw my rhythm right off. So I've been trying to uh, just sort of find that that intersection we always talk about where productivity meets creativity. And uh, it's been elusive this past week and a bit. But that's okay. It happens. Um, things like this uh, allow me to feel like I'm still productive and, and working towards that. But uh, it's definitely, you know, the challenge of working a full-time job alongside trying to get your career going, which is what I'm at the moment, what I'm doing. So, but it, it's been okay. Uh, yeah. Like I said, just enjoying what I can out of it and <laughs> trying to stay positive. I mean, I'm really curious. I know that you haven't gotten a lot of work, uh, done this past week, but I think that it's really fascinating that this is the first story that you wrote and having read it, I know that it was a very ambitious, very epic, very wide ranging story. And now after two books of co-writing experience under your belt. Uh, you are going back to the editing process. What are some of the um, big changes and or lessons that you've learned uh, as you've been doing this new pass? Yeah, uh, I think a, a big one is to, to trust my reader that they don't need me to explain each time my character says something, how they're feeling about what they're saying or why it's just why. So I, you know, I had a habit of, you know, I've got, I've got a character that that's fairly deadpan, but still funny. And I had, a, after everything he said, I would then, you know, he said deadpan or his tone was this or without a smile. It's like, yeah, no, we get it. We get it. That's how this guy is. Like <laughs> we understand. So that was a big one. So there's a lot of the cleanup there. Um, and, and honestly, that kind of thing is not really all that challenging. That's, I feel like the editing process with Sentinels, I learned a lot of how to, you know, go through and improve and punch stuff up and remove what doesn't need to be there. Uh, as you said, the backspace key is a very good friend of mine. <laughs> I think the bigger, the bigger thing is, as you said, it's a fairly ambitious story uh, for my first go. Uh, so that combined with my inexperience when I wrote it at the time, again, this is three years ago now, uh, is, has created some of those plot knots that are, that are untangling slowly. And I've just hit a point right now where, and I don't know if this happens to you too, 
uh, I've hit a point right now where I'm in full on editing mode, but now I've needed, I need to write one, just one chapter and then it will set up what I need to do to sort of untangle the next couple of chapters and move things around and do what I need to do. But I need to put down one and this one chapter, I just haven't been in chapter writing mode for the Mm -hmm. last little bit. I've been straight up editing mode. So it's just shifting back mentally, I think is, is part of that. And I think it also doesn't, this is the first time that I've gone back to this book and been like, oh, no, I need to just create something for this world. So just getting back in that mindset, uh, mind space, I should say, I think it's is been a bit of a challenge, too. So I think those are the biggest things right now. I totally sympathize. I uh, When you're drafting and you have to add a whole chapter, it's an annoyance. It's, oh, OK, well, I need to do that. That'll make the story a lot better. But when you're editing and you need to make a change that big, it it feels like you're being hit by a boulder or something. Yeah. And, and then I'm like, I'm questioning the tone. I'm like, <laughs> is this, is this how he would say that? Is this how she would respond? Whereas when you're drafting, it's just, yeah, it's just, that's, it's just, everything's flowing because you've been writing those characters. So mm-hmm. yeah. So I just, I think I need to, uh, I really need to get just, I'll make, I'll make it perfect later. You know, that kind of mind where I just, I need to get this mm-hmm. chapter done and, and set up the next thing that happens. And I, I think that, after that it'll start to flow but i do know that like i'm basically i had this big behemoth of a chapter uh you know four thousand words or something where i basically used exposition to create a bunch of emotional connections and here's another thing i've learned over is like okay well you know show don't tell is is important for a reason so i need to sort of take this little this one area where i'm just like dumping all of this and just stretch it out, send some people some places together so that they can build a sort of an organic relationship and do that. But it's this one first chapter that needs to set that up properly. Like the reason why they need to do this and why it needs to change. So, but again, I'm as, as frustrating as it has been to not be as productive as I want to be. I know that I've been slowly, even just in my mind, I've been slowly chipping away at the issues and deciding what I need to do. And eventually it's going to come out on the page, but you know, that's, that's part of being an author is that sometimes it doesn't come out on the page for a little <laughs> bit and you just got to trust you're still being productive, even if there's not a word count to, to show you that you're being productive. Very true. Very true. Um, do you want to dive into our subject for today? Yeah, let's do it. I've been excited about this one. Okay. So, uh, longtime listeners who've been here since the beginning, the OGs, uh, know <laughs> that uh, last week we discussed our top five fantasy stories in no particular order. Mm-hmm. And so this week we are actually going to tackle our top five sci fi stories. And uh, <clears throat> so I know that I actually had more trouble with this list than I did last week. But I also know, Taylor, that you had this list done about 20 seconds after we hung up last week, if not earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah. For whatever reason, it was it was much easier. So we, we talked just briefly last week about what kind of criteria we're using, like what makes our quote unquote favorite books. Uh, so what what criteria are you using for these top five, Taylor? So again, I, I stuck with sort of that, like, what's the, what, what's the emotional connection to this book? What, you know, the, the big difference for me was, oh, I'm not looking, what's the best book in terms of, 
you know, how it's written, but how, what's the, my favorite book and how, in terms of how I made it feel or how it made me feel, how much I enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, definitely going back and re being able to reread something, rereadability is, is big for me. I know that's not something that you don't enjoy as much, but, um, any, at any rate, yeah, that's, that, that's sort of my criteria, just what I like, what's fun for me. Okay. Um, in a lot of ways, I'm fairly similar. The emotional aspect, how it, uh, how it, how it struck me in the heart was still kind of the number one criteria, but I will say that mm -hmm. another influencing factor for me, uh, particularly in the sci-fi list, which didn't play as big of a role in the fantasy list is the role of, uh, for lack of a better term, big ideas, um, new big ideas that at least at the time that I was reading it, I hadn't encountered it before. I have noticed that yeah. for a lot of the books that are on my list, it's because they had big ideas that at the time that I read them just completely blew me away. Um, yeah. And so that was also a factor in this list, but I'll say I could have easily done the top 15 probably would have been easier than top five because there were so many books and series that didn't make the cut that I wanted to include. Yeah. So. I, I also found that my science fiction list was a little bit longer than my fantasy list, which if you had asked me just off the cuff, I would have said, Oh no, I think I prefer fantasy, but I don't mm. know, based on these lists, like it's, it's definitely, it's a lot of sci-fi out there that I really love. So what, well, even though I am primarily a fantasy writer, I actually began my life as a reader more of a sci-fi reader. I didn't really okay. start reading fantasy until late high school, early college, so 1920-ish. Whereas sci-fi, I think I've been reading since I was eight, nine. Right. Um, and so yeah. I think there's just a... There's a lot of books, um, particularly from my childhood, uh, that get mentioned here, um, simply because I encountered them earlier. So, yeah, I'm, okay. I'm the same way for sure. Um, but there's yeah, um, there's something about reading something in your formative years. Mm -hmm. uh, enough Sorry, yes, preamble. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. Let's do this. Uh, Taylor, number five. So number five for me, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Mr. Uh, Douglas Adams. <laughs> that was a that was one of those series that definitely would have been on my list had it been a longer list. I absolutely yeah. love yeah. that series. Yeah, it's so fun. Uh, I mean, just write down like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, a trilogy in five parts. Like how like just it's such a little joke, but it's so good. Like it's just everything about and so I read it fairly young, so I would imagine the first time I read it through, I didn't really understand everything that was funny about it. But then I, mm -hmm. I, I read it in at various stages of my life. And this list made me think I'm gonna give it a, a read again soon because it is just just there's just so much good stuff. There's just so much good stuff in it. Uh I mean, there are several parts of the story that will always stick with me, but the one line in that book that just cracks me up to this day that I still use a lot in daily conversation is flying is easy. All you have to do is throw yourself at the ground and miss. 
and miss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely sticks in there as well. Is, and just like the 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 way they've got you know when you start out and you're meeting as Arthur whatever his mm-hmm. name is and his house is being destroyed for uh you know for the, for the the highway or whatever and it's it's paralleled with earth be, it's going to be destroyed i just there's just there's so many it's how do you even come up with that man how is your brain wired in such a way that you have these concepts the cricket playing robots like i just i so much of it is so good and douglas adams is such a brilliant man i mean um Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective mm-hmm. Agency uh, is another good I love one it. Love that I haven't read in a while, but I did. I did. I did watch the Netflix series, and just it was, it's just oh, man, Douglas Adams. I just anyway, it's, that's it's mm-hmm. a, it is firmly number five in my heart there. So, an excellent choice. I I highly approve, and I'm actually glad that we are actually talking about books that we've each read. That is an improvement over yeah uh, last week. <laughs> um, yes, indeed. For number five, for me, uh, I'm going to go with the Expanse series. Nice. Yeah. Um, have you had any encounters? Have you watched either the show or read any of the books? Um, spoilers, the Expanse is my number four on the list. <laughs> so, <laughs> fantastic. Yes. Well, let's, let's geek out about the Expanse a little bit. I, When I first read it, the combination of almost like down to earth kind of uh, the word I always think about when I think of the expanse, when I first saw it was like, it's a dirty science fiction. Um, You know, it's, it's not clean and shiny the way Star Trek is. Um, Yeah. You know, the ships are dirty. The ships are old. They're hauling ice. And to have that combined with just some of the really big, really cool ideas that are within that story, I just immediately fell in love with the series. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And like, I enjoyed it. It's like, they, they throw you right in. Um, and you know, you, you meet your characters and then they get taken over by this, you know, they, or they get rescued by this giant ship. You're like, okay, this is a warship. Like this is a warship. This is like an impressive piece mm-hmm. of, and then that thing gets taken apart by, you know, this other technology. And you're just like, what is happening in this universe? And then mm-hmm. you sort of get thrown back to, um, well, I'm, I'm blanking on the detective's name. Um, the detective that's looking for, uh, yeah. uh Julia Mao. Anyway you get thrown into his storyline and it's like, feels a little slower and you're like, okay, like, you know, you're, you're on, you're, you know, on the asteroid and you're like, it's, yeah, it's a little slower. And then they find her body and it's got this weird, like sentient goo in it. And you're just like, now what's happening? Like, it's just, it's, there's so much good stuff that it, yeah, I I agree. It's, and and dirty is such a good word for it. Like it's, it's like a working class (laughs) world that you're thrown into. Yes. Um, yeah, I think there's another aspect of it that I love that is actually growing, that has grown on me over the years. And um, I don't know what you would want to call this trope, uh, gang of thieves, band of brothers, perhaps. But I just mm-hmm. love the crew dynamics on the ship. Yeah. I mean, like everything Agreed. from, I mean, Amos is still one of my most hilarious and entertaining characters and... I just love how they all come together, how they all clash, how they all cooperate. 
and to have such entertaining characters in such a fascinating world, it's it's candy. Agreed. Agreed. And uh, a nice, another collaborative effort. So. <laughs> oh, that's true. That is a very good point. Um, yeah, so I guess your number four is taken care of. So I guess I should go to number four? Yep. Yeah, okay. you jumped to number four, yep. <laughs> um, in that case, I have the Hyperion Cantos by Dan Simmons. I've not have even heard, heard of that one. Yes, I... This is it's a it's a little bit of an older series now, um, and um, I don't. Well, that's not true. It has been really well known. It has made some best of lists, but the best comparison to it it's a duology. But the best analogy that I can come up for it is it is the Canterbury Tales in space. And so you have all of that these travelers. You have all of these travelers who are coming together, and they're on this journey. And <clears throat> as they each tell their stories, I think there's seven question mark. It's been a long time since I've read this uh, series. But as they tell their stories, you realize that they're connected in more ways than you initially thought, and they're all going to this very mysterious planet. They all have their own kind of missions and objectives and it's just such a cool story and it has one of the most uh terrifying and frightening villains that i've ever come across in sci-fi um and so it is a story that i have really really loved like the first book is basically the seven of them all telling their tales on this spaceship as they're traveling and then the second book is them all coming together uh, on the planet, trying to uh, complete their journeys. And it is, uh, I loved it. I loved it a lot. That's cool. Yeah, I might check that out then. That's uh, That sounds cool. I like that format. Uh, yeah, it's really cool. Okay, so uh, two down a piece. Uh, Taylor, number three. Uh, so number three is Dune. Dune. <laughs> this was another yeah. one that I was debating about putting on my list. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So another one that I read fairly young uh, and loved. Uh, I'm speaking for the first book. I, I am one of those that could not get into uh, the, the subsequent books. Uh, I did end up reading... Mm. Um, his son's uh, stuff, like the House Atreides, House Harkonnen, House... Um, uh, Iraq. Anyway, whatever those, there was three of them. And, uh, so I did end up reading those. I actually did a, a pretty good, um, like essay on them in, in high mm. school, uh, for my English class and I quite enjoyed that. Cause I got to read those three books and then right anyway. Um, but for me, for the list, it's definitely Dune. Uh, it's, it's such a, it feels very classic to me in terms of sci-fi. Um, and I think we talked about this when I was most recently rereading it um, in preparation for the movie, which was unfriggin' believable. I was <laughs> nervous when I heard that they were going to be just because, I mean, we all know the history of Dune's attempts at, at movies and series and, and whatnot. 
Uh, but I was I was blown away by that. At any rate, uh, the the POV in situation in every chapter, like he just he doesn't have a. Uh, this chapter is from this person's point of view. He just switches it as needed. Like as he, mm -hmm. oh, he wants you to know how Paul feels about this person's conversation. Then he'll just switch to Paul's point of view. Like it's, and it's, it's one of those, tr it's a trust the reader thing where it's like, just, I'm just going to trust that everyone's going to know who's mm -hmm. talking and whose head I'm inside right now as we go forward. So, and, and then, and also on that line of, of trust your reader, he just throws you into this, extremely detailed and nuanced universe with all mm -hmm. of these, you know, sort of Royal houses spread across the, ga across the galaxy. And you just, yeah, you know, figure it out, figure it out. These mm -hmm. are your, these are your good guys. They're going here. They're ousting the bad guys, <laughs> you know, figure out everything, figure out the rest of the nuance. So, but it's, it's just such a great, there's just so many cool things. You could name 10 cool things. Just, you know, oh, Gamjabar, yeah, that's a that's a cool <laughs> thing to have. You know, the Quasit Tetarach, that's a cool prophecy to have. You know, it's just there's so many, mm -hmm. there's so much awesome stuff. You know, the, the one of, like, one of the characters they introduced in the first chap chapter is the Duke's Master of Assassins, Kufur Howitt. Like, the mat, yeah, just what's your job? I just, I run the Assassins, man. I just, I run them. <laughs> that's so awesome. So, the as a kid, it was just like, ah, oh, there's all these cool things. <laughs> hey oh. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, as a kid, there's just all this cool stuff. And then as an adult, you obviously read it again and there's this nuance and there's all of this. It's, it's, and then, I mean, forget it. The Fremen, are you kidding? Like what? That's just, these are desert people that are, they're just so hardened by their environment that they'll, they'll beat anybody. Like that's, that's such a great concept. And obviously one that's been repeated a million times in a million places, but it's awesome. So that's my firm, my firm number three. Excellent choice. Um, I'm going to go with a very modern series. I wasn't sure about putting this one on here, um, but I, I just really loved the series. It's actually still in progress as far as I'm aware. It's called the Frontline series by, I believe his name is Marco Kluse, um, friend of George R.R. R. Martin, uh, everybody's favorite writer. Uh, <laughs> and he wrote, it's, um, it's just a classic military sci-fi humans against a very interesting and very intriguing alien species. Mm -hmm. And it has all of your standard military sci-fi tropes. Um, but I think. I forget if there's maybe seven or eight books out right now. I think I read all of them in about two weeks, which is really fast, even for me. And yeah. I, I just couldn't stop. They were entertaining. Again, you kind of have that, uh, the trope of the band of brothers, um, all the military personnel sticking together. You see their relationships grow and develop over years and years of fighting. And, it's just, it was just fun. Like I just had so much fun reading the series and I believe that it's still coming out. So I really, really enjoyed it. That's cool. Yeah. I checked that out. Feels like, uh, feels like Starship Troopers without the heavy handed opinions of the author <laughs> permeating it. <laughs> it. Um, I would, I would call it, uh, Starship Troopers if Starship Troopers was fun. 
was fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they, like, don't get me wrong, there's parts of Starship Troopers that was fun. Starship Troopers and Stranger in a Strange Land both were hovering in my honorable mentions mm. kind of section of this. Of this I, I do, I do I, love both stories, but um, yeah, there's just something that's just—they're not fun. It's just yeah, they're not fun. But they, uh, but this is—it's a very entertaining. It's a very fun story. Um, that's cool. And so, yes, I definitely enjoyed yeah. it. Highland feels like he might be a rough hang. Like, I'm, I'm not sure that hanging out with Robert A. Highland would be like something that you would like really look forward to. <laughs> okay, this is going to be a subject for a future podcast. But writers, alive or dead, that we want to hang out with. Yeah, we'll have to talk about it for sure. Like, yeah, let's not even get into it right now. No. But yeah, there's and there's and I think we have to do two. We have to do ones we want to hang out with and ones we don't want to hang out. With. <laughs> Deal. Okay, Taylor, number two. Uh, so this one is, I'm not sure how well known this, this one is. I think this is one of those ones that, you know, my dad stumbled across at the library. And then once he was done reading them, he just handed them down to me. Maybe a scooch, just a scooch young for this one <laughs> when I first got it. Because there's some, there's some pretty rough, you know, some they deal with some rough, like, there's like some rape scenes and there's some pretty rough, like, violence in it. But my dad also trusted me to, like, if I had questions about anything or to sort of come to him, but I know I was younger when I was reading this, but, um, the, uh, the gap series, um, by Douglas, Douglas, Donaldson, Nope. Stephen R. Donaldson, the gap Donaldson, series by right? Stephen yeah. R. Donaldson. Yeah. Donaldson. And dude, I mean, again, a little rough in any, and you're talking about like a, like gritty, dirty sci-fi. This is gritty, dirty sci-fi. Like it's, but, uh, you know, one of those one of those series that I read that just captured you know my, my imagination. You got you know pi like space pirates, and then that, you've got really evil seeming space pirates, and then the like the sort of like the, the shiny hero seeming space pirates, and then that guy's maybe not as good as you think he is, <laughs> but then the evil guy kind of redeems himself. Like it's just you know there's a story like crazy. Um, you know, we talked a little bit with Sentinels, particularly in uh, in. The second book, which I will not spoil too much, but we, we talked about the sort of the division of, uh, you know, of the of an, a high paced action and then with a subsequent storyline of like political machinations. And I, you know, I really found that in this book in a way that was very interesting to me. And I think that um, The Expanse does really well as mm -hmm. well with um, oh, what's her name? The uh, the lady that's that kind of runs Earth. Yeah, she's her name right now. But yeah, she's she's great. I'm I'm. For the listeners, I'm terrible with names of things, and like, please don't assume. We, you remember what happened when we quizzed me on Same. my own book. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so at any rate, um, yeah. So it, it's it's all of those things, but you know, a guy becomes a cyborg. They've got this crazy cannon that fires a, a projectile at the speed of light. And then when it hits, you know, when it hits something, it's got the force of the speed of light behind. It's just, there's so many, like you said, these greater insane cool concepts. That's what these are. So uh, I, I wholeheartedly recommend it. I think it's a five book series and it's a fairly quick read. Like it's not, it's not, it doesn't really get bogged down, but there's just some really cool stuff. And, you know, I got a cool alien, you know, group that comes through. It just, it's uh, it's uh, I can't say enough good stuff. Just be prepared for a little bit of rough, rough treatment in the beginning of some of our heroes. So. Nice. Uh, I'm going to continue to preface my order by saying, like, this isn't actually ranked for me. These are just five of my favorite books that made the top list. They're in no particular order. Yep. Um, 
But number two for me, I'm going to go with Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. Oh, I've heard uh, of, but haven't. It's on. I've got this list in my phone of books, and it's on there. But <laughs> uh, yeah, back in the heyday of the cyberpunk movement, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just one of my favorite stories. It's got everything from crazy dystopian future that somehow actually seems closer than ever, as well as mm-hmm. a sword wielding hero named literally hero protagonist. Um, from <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> no, dead serious. That's his name. Uh, you've got like, Man, I like that. You've got these virtual reality sword duels, you've got floating islands that are city states, you've got a pizza company that is actually like a serious political power. I mean, it's just so many ideas. Neuro-linguistic programming is in there. There's ancient mythology. There's all these crazy huge ideas all stuffed together in just a package that I find incredibly entertaining. And so Snow Crash gets my number two spot. Nice. I feel like my books are very much in order. I would I would say. They're, there's, they're, they're, I very much did order them in Totally, totally just, fine. Yeah, mine, just so everyone knows. Mine, mine are not. Mine are totally random. I'm also shifting them around. So if I suspect I know what your answers are going to be. Uh, Taylor, drum <laughs> roll. Up. Drum roll, number one. Number one? Number one for me, uh, Ender's Game. Ha! Ah, I knew that was going to be on our list. Yeah, tell, so tell that's us about what, Ender's when I, Game. We were talking about it yesterday. Oh, that was man. the one that what I guess, say yeah. about Ender's Game. Yeah, yeah, same. Let's see. Yeah, we were talking about this. We had a we had a, we have our WhatsApp chat and yesterday, and we were <laughs> we were talking about what we thought might be the shared on the list. And yeah, definitely, it's Ender's Game. Uh, I mean, what do you say? Like, there's something about an author that can write from the perspective of children really well. That is, you know, that is it's really impressive. And uh, Stephen King is such a great example of that. Um, you know, you, you read something like The Stand or It, mm. and he's just, he's writing these kids. Sorry, not The Stand, uh, Stand By Me. Uh, and he's just, he's writing these kids, and you're like, yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, that's how I felt. Like, you're you're writing how I felt. So, you know, I was, I think I was probably a little older than Ender was supposed to be in the books when I first read it. But I was still like nine or ten when I, when I read mm-hmm. it. So I'm, immediately I am invested in this protagonist who is my age. And, uh, you know, right from the first scene, he, he, he sees these, these bullies are bugging him and he like, he, he defends himself and he, you know, they kind of ask him about it afterwards. And he's like, well, I wanted to make sure I hurt them enough that they would never think about doing that to me again. And you're like, oh shit. So you're like, this kid's a sociopath. Like this is, but it's, it's also mm-hmm. like, you know, if I'm, if I'm the smaller guy and I let people pick on me forever, what's going to happen. So, uh, so anyway, so that's, that's our protagonist. And then he gets selected into this. Um, program for, you know, gifted children or whatever. And then that's a whole other thing. Who doesn't love a story about the super mm-hmm. smart person, like the, the you know, the, the gifted person, the person like our, our world is, is rife with those, right? There's just, there's something really appealing about you're following this guy that beats everybody with smarts. And then, mm-hmm. and then there's the game. The, the game is yes. just... This, this is just, it's, you know, it's unbelievable. It's, it's this, you know, you know, essentially... Sort of mixture of real world and VR or hollow deck, you know, military strategy system, and it's just like mm-hmm. 
you do all this stuff. And I mean, I don't know if I'm spoiling stuff for anybody. I, won't, I, I guess feel I won't like if you that. haven't read Ender's Game by now, you're fine. Yeah. So yeah. So then. So yeah. So then you you know you get to the end of the book and this you know this game that he's been playing the whole time. Nope. That that was us. That was you commanding. Like his his final exam is more of a video game setup. Mm-hmm. He's controlling these ships and it's you know it's because it's faster than light speed and the projections are coming back. His orders are going out and then they're happening later. So anyway, so it's it's you know these these fleets were deployed years ago, and then he he's he's not it's not an exam. He's actually you know, flying these or giving orders to these ships to, for the, the, what you think is the fate of humanity. And then meanwhile, the, the last twist is that the, the people that you were attacking, they're like, yo, we fucked up. We didn't even mean to do like when we first came and attacked you, the bugs, they call them when we first mm-hmm. came to it, we didn't know what was going on, but then you sent your ships. We haven't been able to talk to you. Eh. Like, so it's just, mm-hmm. there's all these feelings, you know, across this, this spectrum of this book. And it's just, it's crazy. Like it's, you know, and, it, and again, it's all on the shoulders of this, you know, however, eight, nine, ten year old kid. So it's pretty crazy. Okay. I've got so many questions. First of all, uh, Ender's Game is a book that I, like you, I read first when I was young. I think about the same age, about nine, ten, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And absolutely loved it for a lot of the same reasons that you're talking about. Oh yeah. Smart kid going to a place with other smart kids who wins with his smarts. It's so much fun. Um, did you realize when you were younger, cause I have gone and reread it as an adult, as a more careful reader, did you realize like how dark and how sociopathic Ender was when you were a kid? Cause I had no idea. No, no, certainly not the first time. Like, it, I was just like, yeah, he's doing what he's got to do. And he wins. And it's, you know, like, he was a hero. He was the hero of the story. And therefore, in my mind, he was the hero. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he really is. <laughs> he really is my, a sociopath. It's pretty crazy. My, I mean, my understanding, and again, it's been a few years since I've reread it, but like, he kills the kid in the bathroom, right? Like, he doesn't just oh, defend yeah. himself. The, he that kills was the kid. Yeah. Yes. And that's what... Like, that's like, okay. And, and you know, like, you know how dark the book actually is when it's that action, killing a bully in the bathroom that gets you promoted to space military school. Like, that's oh, yeah. how dark like, this oh, book this, actually yeah, you is. You murdered somebody? Let's, yeah. 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 <laughs> Which, like that to be fair, like, if, if you, <laughs> well, but if, and if that's what you're looking for, do you know what I mean? Because they're trying mm-hmm. to re, what are, what's, I can't even remember the name of the guy that they're trying to, find the next coming of there was this brilliant oh, strategist that Ra- saved them the first razor Macam Macam razor razor macker Macam something Mac-um like razor that. yeah Macam razor yeah. yeah nice good job right thank you wow. thank you um, i've read that book a few i've read that book a few times yeah. Yeah, same yeah it's one of those ones that gets in a rotation for me uh but yeah they um you know they're trying to they're they've they assume that they're over outmatched by this alien force. So they're like, okay, well, if we won on this crazy strategy the, the first time, then, we'll, you know, we got to try and sort of do that again, which is, I mean, how are you not looking for a sociopath then, right? Like mm-hmm. if you are so, so specifically looking for a set of skills that's going to allow somebody to strategize at that, like at that high level, but they're also a kid, like I, I, that's probably what you're going to find. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was, yeah, um, did did you read the subsequent books? I I have, and I want to ask you about those. 
But I first want to ask you, mm-hmm. how hard did the twist hit you the first time you were reading the story at the end? When he found out he was actually fighting um, the Hive Queen. Uh, when he found out he was fighting? Or when at the very end when he goes back into that other game and talks to the Hive Queen? No, not when because he talks to when her. He when, when, they're, when they were like, uh, no, you didn't pass your final exam. You just won the war. Good, good work. Yeah. Yes. That one hit me pretty hard. That one, that was like a, like a, almost like a fist pump moment. I was like mm-hmm. exuberant about it as a child. I was like, oh, he did it? Like, he, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause in my mind, I'm like, I knew, I think my dad had said that there were other books. So I was like, oh, okay. I guess he finishes the school and then we go off. And uh, yeah, that, <laughs> no, that was, I was, as a kid, for sure, I was blindsided by that. I think as the second time, it's so hard to say when you read through a second time because you know and you can look mm-hmm. for the little clues. Um, but, you know, you, all the people gathered around, like, all of the, you know, all the stuff that there's clues yeah. there, right? But, yeah, no, I was I was definitely hit pretty hard. Very nice. Um, yes, I have read the subsequent books. Um, the only ones that I've reread, or the only one that I've reread, is Speaker for the Dead. And yeah, Speaker for the Dead's pretty good. I'm not going to lie. I love Speaker for the Dead. Have you reread it as an adult? It's I have, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. Um, for me, I think the thing that really stuck out for me about Speaker for the Dead is so often we, in our science fiction, we talk about what first contact with aliens is going to be like. And, you know, mm-hmm. usually there's some hand-waving about language differences and stuff like that. But one of the things that I think Speaker for the Dead accomplishes that I have not encountered in other stories uh, at least to this degree, is just how alien aliens are going to be if and when we come across mm-hmm. them. And, like, the species that they're cohabiting with in Speakers for the Dead is a truly alien species that just looks at life from a completely different lens. And I don't think I realized that... I don't recall liking the book very much when I was younger, but coming back and reading it as an adult, I think reading Speaker for the Dead and actually seeing that first evolution of Ender and what he becomes after the child genius general. It's Mm. it's a story that gets, it gets me. I I love it. I I haven't reread the other ones. I remember not liking them as much, but. Yeah, I honestly, I can't remember the names of the other ones and how many there are. There's two more after that, right? Is it four in the series? I think there's four, yeah. And then he did the whole. Yeah, they, they get a little. The whole bean thing too the bee oh you didn't ender shadow you didn't like i didn't like ender shadow very much either um really i mean well <laughs> because it's i mean yes it's bean story and yes it is in theory different and original but like it's ender's game just from bean's perspective like yeah i mean that's i guess where i am i mean i have it, it. <laughs> it's it, it's it's back there um, but I, I get that. I, yeah, I guess that's fair. I just, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, you want to give me more Ender's Game? Sure. I'll take more Ender's <laughs> Game, which is not what Speaker for, the, Speaker for the Dead is, right? Speaker for the Dead mm-hmm. is its no. own story and kind of continuation. Yeah. So, so to, I'll take a little more Ender's Game. That's fine with me. That That is a, that is a good point. Yeah. I, Speaker, for, like Speaker for the Dead feels like an entirely different story set in the same mm-hmm. universe. And I mean, I, I think it's really cool. So. 
Oh, I agree. Yeah, I agree for sure. I wouldn't. I, I, I probably like Speaker for the Dead a little bit better than Ender Shadow, for, and, and mm -hmm. probably for that reason. You know, did it, you it read is, the it is rest a rehash, of, essentially. Did you read the rest of the Ender Shadow series? Uh, no, I just read Ender Shadow. Okay. I believe it continues on um, with several <laughs> other books, too. So. Uh, oh, yeah. <clears throat> I, I don't, I'm not even sure if I knew that. Um. I did but not, however, case, see the. So I was just gonna say I did not, however, see the movie Ender's Game because it, I was just—it's so bad. Yeah. So first of all, I, as soon as I, w I heard it being announced, I was like, "Oh no!" Like I, I just I, I am too. It could be as good an adaptation as the Dune adaptation is, and I would still be hesitant to watch it because it's Ender's Game is so much a. a like a thing in my heart, right? Like it's, it's got mm -hmm. such a place and I see the characters in a certain way. And I just, so I'm glad I've never seen it. And then for it to have flopped as badly as it did, I'm I, exceptionally glad I didn't see it. I didn't have to subject myself to that. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, you made the right call, right call there. Um, but in any case, we are running super long today. It has been a very fun conversation, but uh, we should probably, hang up and get on to the rest of our lives. So, um, Perfect. Taylor, it has been a true, true pleasure. And we don't know yet what we're talking about next week yet, right? Uh, no, I, we had sort of been banding an idea about, but I think we should probably have that take a more solid form before we <laughs> say anything about it. So yeah, it'll be a surprise for next week. It'll be fun though. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, to everybody listening, thank you for joining us for this uh, wide ranging science fiction discussion and we will see you next week. Taylor, have yourself a good one, sir. See you guys.